Hi there, this is How to Choose, the show that helps you make better decisions and improve your judgment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tessa. And I'm Ken. And in this, our fifth season of How to Choose, we're examining eight characteristics of great decision makers. So, Ken, what are we talking about in our episode today? Well, today we're chatting about the value of being a realistic optimist. Now, this might sound like a contradiction in terms, but I believe that we can actually balance these two attributes and get some great results. Now, according to a Forbes article, realistic optimism is the ability to balance out the negative and positive things in situations, circumstances, and people. It's the courage to explore opportunities where others are blocked by risk and failure with the belief that the future will be better than the past. I think that's a really uh, nice, neat little summary that we can unpack together in this episode. Yeah, thanks, Ken. Let's start the unpacking. Do you mind just breaking down the two components of realistic optimism? Well, let's start with realism. A realist is determined to understand how the world actually is and to live with that truth, accepting and not denying reality and making decisions based on that reality. So a realistic person has accurate expectations which support good decision-making. And I'd probably also add the realist focuses more on living in the present rather than being primarily focused on the future and what might happen. Yeah, I like that definition. Um, And it probably nicely segues to describing an optimist because an optimist generally focuses on the positives of what they have now in the present, but they do also tend to have a future focus and they believe that even if things aren't great now, they can get better. Optimists approach life, work, relationships, new experiences with a sense of positive expectation. Their glass is half full, and sometimes they'll tell you that a half full glass is all they could ever want. <gasps> yeah, don't be greedy. Come on, why do you need a full glass? <laughs> and, and Ken, what does it look like to combine these two characteristics? Well, a realistic optimist faces up to reality with hope and courage, making choices and decisions with the belief that they can have success. They don't deny that they will face challenges and failures along the way, and nor do they believe that every effort will end in success. However, they apply a generally positive approach to decisions and to life that is matched with an energy and an enthusiasm to make the best of a situation, and by effort and persistence to maximize their chances of succeeding. Yeah, and to paint a clearer picture of realistic optimism, let's contrast it with pessimism. I think people who tend to be pessimistic often think that they're just being realistic. However, when we're highly pessimistic, we're actually not being realistic. We're focusing on unlikely negative possibilities rather than probable outcomes. And probably as a result of this, studies show that pessimism can lead to anxiety and negative stress. Uh, You know, just reflecting on my own situation, I recently had some potentially negative health indicators. And, you know, while I could spend several weeks worrying, catastrophizing and planning for the worst outcome, I've decided that I'm going to focus on what I have control over. And I'm just going to wait until I get the results rather than focusing on hypotheticals that definitely would have created anxiety and stress in me by now. Yeah, and it's easier said than done sometimes, isn't it? I think that's really commendable that you were able to do that. Look, I think the conclusion is pessimism isn't particularly helpful. But I'll pause here and say that I think skepticism can be useful. And when we're skeptical, and we're not just accepting everything at face value, we're looking at it closely and questioning what we see. 
We're applying some of the curiosity that we talked about in the first episode of this season, and we're asking questions like, why do you say that? And, oh, but what about skepticism is a good tool to help us avoid misinformation and disinformation and discover the truth. But pessimism leads us sometimes to reject the truth and to prefer instead that reality is more negative than it really is. So Tess, can you also tell us about unrealistic optimism? Yeah, for sure. So when we're optimistic but unrealistic, we're actually focusing on positive possibilities rather than probable outcomes. So we ignore the challenges that need to be overcome. Uh, We might refuse to consider the likelihood of things working out well. And optimism and pessimism that is not grounded in reality tends to ignore probabilities of success and failure. The term for this is base rate neglect, and we talked about it in Season 3, Episode 6, Nobody Wants to Be Average, and that's essential listening. So I definitely encourage you to go back and check that one out if you haven't haven't listened to it already. Now, unrealistic optimism has been defined in a 2017 article in the journal Consciousness and Cognition as the tendency for people to believe that they are less likely to experience negative events and more likely to experience positive events than are other people. Yeah, it's a bit of a picture of exceptionalism, isn't it? Uh, And Mm. I think it's illustrated quite tragically when we look at people with gambling addictions. Now, statistics suggest that Australians gamble more than any other people in the world. Apparently, 300,000 Australians have a gambling addiction. A gambling addict is fixated on the incredibly unlikely hope that their next bet will be the one that makes them rich. They ignore the probability that they will lose but they also deny that they are addicted to gambling, as do most addicts. And the addiction is a physical one. Dopamine is produced in the brain and it produces a, a lot of pleasure sensations when we are anticipating something good happening, not when the good thing happens itself. And dopamine can become quite addictive. That's what drives a lot of these uh, physical addictions. Yeah, those are some really sobering stats, Ken. Um, We'll make sure to have a link in the show notes too for a resource for anyone dealing with gambling addiction as well. So we're going to cover this topic again this season, but we can't overemphasize that if you want to successfully navigate difficult decisions at work or in your personal life, you do have to be realistic. You have to pursue the facts like a bloodhound chasing the scent of its prey. And don't fall into the algorithm trap of only listening to the people and the news sources that you like. Yeah, that's a nice little reference to something that was brought up by our guests that we interviewed in episode one of this season. Uh, So have a listen to that episode. One way to avoid this is to commit yourself to not asking leading questions of your friends or Google uh, or Siri. For example, why is taking vitamin supplements good for me is a leading question, and it's likely to produce results that support one side of the argument. We need to strive for neutral questions. So what are the costs and benefits of taking vitamin supplements? Or what does the medical evidence say about vitamin supplements? And I just read a book that was pretty damning about vitamins, uh, <laughs> oh, Food dear. for Life by, by Tim Spector, which I would recommend to our, our listeners to make up their mind on this particular question. But I digress. Any more insights from science on the benefits of optimism? Yeah, the scientific research links optimism with several beneficial outcomes. And remember that when we say links, um, that means that the two things are seen together. It doesn't necessarily mean there is a 
cause and effect relationship. So there's research ongoing in this area. But here's what one team of researchers have concluded. There's evidence that optimism is associated with taking proactive steps to protect one's health, whereas pessimism is associated with health-damaging behaviours. The energetic, task-focused approach that optimists take to goals also relates to benefits in the socioeconomic world. Some evidence suggests that optimism relates to more persistence in educational efforts and to higher later income. Optimists also appear to fare better than pessimists in relationships. So lots of benefits from optimistic realism. If we focus specifically on decision-making, what benefits does this bring? Yeah, so decision-making often requires us to be able to effectively identify and compare options. So when we apply realistic optimism, we're more likely to focus on options that can be achieved, understand the work that's required to achieve those outcomes, and clearly see what the consequences of different choices might be. Now, that's the realism aspect, as you can probably pick up. The optimism part means that we're more likely to be courageous about taking a new path and to come to a new challenge with adequate energy and commitment to maximize our chances of success. Yeah, and this actually reminds me a bit of the circle of influence, circle of concern idea popularized by Stephen Covey. An optimist would be focused on their circle of influence and not stressing about their circle of concern. Now, how about we dig a bit more into some of the theory around optimism? Yeah, sounds good. Now, you might be familiar with Martin Seligman. He's a famous American psychologist who coined the term learned helplessness, an expression that many people are familiar with. Seligman is also known for his advocacy for positive psychology. Now, I will put a caveat here. Seligman is a controversial figure, both for the cruel scientific methods he used to support his theory of learned helplessness, but also because some critics feel that the field of positive psychology promotes a mindset that ignores unpleasantness and injustice rather than facing up to them. Yeah, Ken, I'm actually quite familiar with Seligman because I was part of the inaugural Teach for Australia cohort. Uh, and he was actually a big supporter of the program and came out uh, to Australia to do some teaching with us. Oh, wow. Uh, all fo- yeah, really, it was it was excellent. It was all focused on the positive psychology, not so much on the learned helplessness, yeah. uh, but really interesting. And if anyone hasn't come across uh, his work on positive psychology, it's really worth digging into a little bit more. However, what you've just described there sounds like the unrealistic optimism we were just discussing, doesn't it? Yeah, and look, I, I think they're... They're legitimate concerns, but I think that perhaps they misrepresent what Seligman actually says. So he came up with another theory that he called learned optimism uh, and wrote a book by the same title. He believed that people can learn to be optimistic, even if their natural tendency is towards being pessimistic. So I want to share a couple of useful portions from his book, Learned Optimism, How to Change Your Mind and Your Life. So Seligman writes that pessimism has the virtue of supporting a keener sense of reality. So he then asks the important question, well, does learning the skill of optimism mean sacrificing realism? Well, he explains, and this is a really key point, that he does not advocate for unconditional optimism in every situation that we face. But he says this, when bad events strike, You don't have to look at them in their most permanent, pervasive, and personal light with the crippling results that this attitude produces in our lives. He says there are a few situations where we should apply optimism. So a couple of examples. If you're in in an achievement situation 
where you're looking to get a promotion or sell a product or write a difficult report or win a game, use optimism. If you want to lead people, if you want to inspire other people, if you want people to vote for you, use optimism. He also says if you're concerned about how you will feel, if you're fighting off depression or keeping up your morale, use optimism. But he doesn't say we should always use optimism. He said if your goal is planning for a risky and uncertain future, do not use optimism. If your goal is to counsel others whose future is dim, do not use optimism initially. So basically, if the cost of failure is high, then Seligman would say optimism is the wrong strategy. So what's one of the strategies Seligman advocates to help us to build an optimistic attitude that that rests on a realistic approach to life? Well, what I found helpful was Seligman's analysis of what underpins pessimism, and he calls it his ABC analysis. So A is adversity strikes, B is our beliefs are exposed, and the C is those beliefs then produce consequences. Can you unpack that one a little bit more for us, Ken? Yeah, sure. Well, maybe you can help, Tess. What, what's one thing that you've decided to commit yourself to doing in order to achieve a goal? So for me, it's running regularly. I've had quite low energy for the last few months, so I'm keen to work on a regular routine that will eventually get me back to a second marathon. Right. Well, that's an interesting one. So let's just take that uh, low energy and let's use that as the adversity in this example. So adversity could be anything that happens that kind of pushes us a little bit off track or sets us back. So you wake up tomorrow morning, your goal is to do a long run, you're going to do a 15k run, but your energy levels are really low. So instead, you relax at home. Uh, Maybe you end up eating some food, junk food that you weren't planning to eat. And This is the key point. That's where your beliefs are exposed. Because at this point, if we are tending towards pessimism, there's an internal voice that's likely to play in our head saying, ah, you've stuffed up again. You never stick to your goals. You're really undisciplined. Look at what you've done. You're never going to achieve your goal of running a marathon at this rate. And then it's pretty easy to see how that belief has a consequence. It's it's pushing us towards giving up, isn't it? It's saying you may as well not bother trying. Now, I think what Seligman would say is really capture yourself at the belief level. That might be the point at which you want to reprogram and say, hmm, okay, well, I've had a minor setback. I'm not feeling great today, but that happens. We have ups and downs. That's not going to stop me from achieving my goal. And maybe referring back to something I think we talked about in an earlier episode, playing a voice inside your head that says, I'm the kind of person that doesn't give up even when I have a bad day. And I think that's a great way of focusing on that positive element of who you are. And then the consequence is you're likely to pick yourself up tomorrow when you're feeling better and pursue that goal. Yeah, I really like this, Ken, because it's quite iterative, isn't it? So like you said, just because you've had a bad morning doesn't mean that you are uncommitted. Tomorrow is another chance to change that belief set and, and work towards your goal. So how can we quickly recap our main points from today? Because we've covered a lot. Here's the summary. Realistic optimism is an approach that accepts the reality, both good and bad, of every situation, but wherever possible, applies a positive attitude to make the best of the situation and then achieve the goals that we're aiming for. The second point is that being pessimistic is not the same as being realistic. Pessimism sometimes focuses on the unlikely negative outcomes and ignores the probability of something bad happening. Instead, 
we can be skeptical. It means not accepting things on face value. It's a questioning, curious mindset that serves us better than pessimism. Number three, we can build realism by pursuing the facts of a situation with an open mind and by asking open questions, not cherry picking the information that suits us. And then fourth and last, we can build realistic optimism by applying the ABC framework to analyze how we respond to adversity because it's going to strike us all and then consider if we need to change our beliefs to support a more constructive decision that helps us achieve our goals. Yeah, great wrap up, Ken. Uh, The thing that I think I'm going to take away is this idea about learned optimism being so important. And it really goes to our first episode of this season where we're talking about fixed and growth mindset and how we all are hopefully, you know, developing that growth mindset. Because this trait is something that we can actively cultivate in ourselves, even if right now we are a bit of a glass half empty person. Yeah. Well, listen, if you've enjoyed this episode, please follow us so that you don't miss the next episode when it drops and check out our website, goodbetterright.com.au. And tell your friends about us too. Many podcast players allow you to share an episode or even just a portion of an episode that could help others develop their growth mindset too. And make sure you tune in for our next episode where we'll be discussing the attribute of being knowledge hungry. Bye for now. 